Welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. Today, we're talking about the sudden moves in rates today, what exactly they mean. And also, we're going to talk about everything that happened in markets last week that led to today's crazy moves. So let's dive in. First things first, last week we got an, an expected downshift uh, in the pace of rate hikes from the Fed down from 50 basis point increments to 25 basis point increments. Now, obviously, rate hikes are not supportive in and of themselves of risk assets, but forward expectations uh, are, are what really matter for risk asset pricing as well. And in the case of a downshift to 25 from 50, the implication is that what will come next is a pause. Uh, and because of that, risk assets rallied, they are supported. Uh, generally speaking, during uh, pauses, because they portend further cuts, risk assets rally uh, quite well. And also because conditions have changed such that the cost of capital is no longer increasing, uh, it remains elevated, but it's flat, right? And that's more supportive at the margin for risk assets. So historically, uh, Fed pauses, Fed rate hike pauses have been supportive of risk assets. And given that we got this downshift, uh, markets really, really loved it. It was also directly in line with their expectations. There were a couple of changes in the FOMC statement itself that are worth noting. You can see up here on the screen. The first thing that changed was last month, it, uh, the statement read, inflation remains elevated. And that has changed to inflation has eased somewhat, but remains elevated. Now, this is the first time that the Fed has acknowledged disinflation in its written remarks as a committee. Um, you know, it, it only took them eight months, but they finally got there. Um, you know, inflation near the 10 handle has been deflated, right? You know, the, the, the notion of inflation extremely elevated is, is all but dissipated from markets. Um, and the, the Fed has killed inflation so aggressively um, that they're seeing the whites of deflation's eyes, right? Deflation is there. Uh, we're seeing month-on-month -month prints actually in the negative. Uh, you know, CPI month-on-month uh, -month percent changes in the negative. And the Fed, one thing it hates more than inflation or just as much rather than inflation is deflation. They don't want that. They want disinflation back down to their 2% target. And so uh, the Fed's decision-making is now taking the risk of over-tightening and unintended deflation into account. And thus, it decided to mention that inflation has eased somewhat but remains elevated in its statement, right? It's using that hedged language. Uh, in order to tell the market, look, we, we see disinflation. We promise you we're not going to over-tighten, but it still remains elevated. We still got some work to do. Um, and that's the hedge language that they decided to go with. And the Fed is right on the money when it's talking about materially slowing inflation. You can see here with inflation swaps, we could actually create a curve for the implied path for CPI. As you can see here at the January meeting, it's expected right around 6.1%. And by March, it's, it's expected to be below the Fed's policy rate, which has historically been when the Fed stops hiking outright, right? It's achieved what it wants to do, uh, and it holds there. It holds there until it normalizes back to its inflation target. And you could see that its inflation target is expected to be reached by June. At June, CPI inflation is expected to be right back around that 2, 2.25% level that the Fed, uh, we, that is the Fed's long run average. So, the Fed is noticing this, right? By all accounts, on a monthly basis, there's deflation, which they hate, they don't want. Um, and every single component that was considered sticky, that is more difficult to, to see inflation slow within, has begun slowing. Um, and so the Fed, pretty savvily so, right? They've handled this cycle quite well. They've decided to include in their statement and in their spoken word via Jerome Powell's press conference that they see the disinflation and they're adjusting their policy stance accordingly. Um, 
and that's ultimately uh, that's ultimately a good thing for markets, right? At the end of the day, the reaction for markets told you everything you need to know. They're expecting um, you know a pause relatively soon, uh, and via inflation swaps, we know that the market, uh, the Fed, is now in agreement with the market that we're seeing materially slowing inflation, which means the Fed's job uh, may be done sooner rather than later. Uh, the other change to the FOMC statement you can see right here on screen uh, is. It used to say in determining the pace of future increases. Now, this is the kicker. It has changed to in determining the extent of future increases. So this is extremely important. Um, it might not seem like it, but let me explain to you why. So this entire cycle has been extremely aggressive, right? We know this. The Fed began by hiking in a 20, in 125 basis point increment and then 150 basis point increment and then 575 basis point increments in a row. Now, mind you, 50 basis points is an outsized size for Fed rate hikes. Uh, 75 is unheard of. It hasn't been done in decades. And so when the Fed chose to do it five times in a row, the hike cycle was all about pace. How quickly do we want to hike? And now in the latest statement, they have switched the word pace with the word extent, right? That's all you need to take away from the FOMC meeting. Uh, you know, as inflation has fallen so materially with the Fed recognizing it, the question has shifted from how quickly can we hike, which has been the question for this entire cycle, and the answer has been very quickly. Now the question has shifted from how much higher to how much higher do we need to go? That's the question the Fed is asking itself right now with this word extent. Uh, the inflation fight is being handedly won. Right? We now have a Fed that's backing off the hiking accelerator and tenderly ap applying the brake. And we know from this change, this one change in phrasing, as well as Powell's press conference, which we'll talk about, that a pause is going to be upon us soon. It's very, very clear. Uh, also, uh, during the press conference itself, Powell missed the opportunity to take down, talk down, easing financial conditions. So obviously, credit spreads have been narrowing pretty considerably. Borrowing has been going through without a hitch. Um uh, you know, uh, nothing has basically locked up in markets that has caused the Fed to witness over tightening. Um, in fact, financial conditions are extremely easy, right? With the Fed pause up ahead, um, you know, it's, it's extremely simple, um, you know, in order to extend uh, lines of credit, in order to obtain credit, etc. And that's not what the Fed wants. It wants tighter financial conditions to lower the chance of a second wave of inflation uh, cropping back up. And so in the lead up to this meeting, the talk of the town was really, um, you know, what is Powell going to say to talk down financial conditions? And the answer that we got was actually nothing. He didn't do anything to push back against this unwarranted easing of financial conditions. Um, and because of that, the market interpreted it as extremely dovish, right? The, Powell missed his chance to be hawkish in the face of uh, overly dovish market expectations. And that's been, which has been the theme for every single FOMC meeting to this point. At every meeting, the market generally gets out ahead of its skis and then Powell talks down markets and he's overly hawkish and he wags his finger. But for whatever reason, this time he decided not to do that. And perhaps it's because of that dynamic of, uh, it's because of that dynamic of uh, disinflation that they're witnessing, uh, and they may be concerned that it will flip the other way into outright deflation, which is not what they want. In any way you slice it, Powell missed an opportunity there, right? During the question period, I'll put this up on screen here, Powell responded uh, to a question about the risk of over-tightening versus not doing enough. Um, and he said, uh, we have no desire to over-tighten, but if we go too far and inflation is coming down faster than we expect, then we do have tools that we can work on that. Now, barring the awful grammar that Powell decided to use in that response, markets had a field day 
with that one. Um, judging by the market's reaction to the statement, you know, taking with the press conference as a whole, they seem to have interpreted the Fed's remarks as a soft pivot. They they swapped out the word pace for the word extent, essentially forecasting the end of hikes. And Powell even talked about, he used some of the same language that he used back in his infamous Powell pivot in 2019, where he said, if we over tightening, if we over tighten, we have the tools to correct it. That's not what you want to hear. That's not what you want to do as a Fed chair who's trying to fight inflation, even if you're starting to see inflation fall very rapidly. Um, because financial conditions were easing into the meeting, the Fed wants tight financial conditions so it can fight inflation. Um, but again, through the statement and through Powell's uh, at least interpreted as dovish comments, the mere indication of a nearing terminal rate, which is the the highest rate that the Fed pauses at, and that's the, the highest rate they achieve for the cycle, um, and a future reversal in policy, that was enough to send risk sentiment through the ceiling. As you can see here on this chart, uh, leading into the meeting, the two-year yield, uh, which can be taken as a proxy for Fed funds, uh, forward Fed funds expectations, right? The two-year U.S. Treasury is a very, very highly liquid uh, short interest rate. Uh, you can see there that it was channeling right around that 425 area, and it dropped through the absolute floor down to 4.1% after Powell's remarks, which were interpreted as dovish. Um, and also in response, uh, equities rallied pretty considerably off the back of his, again, interpreted as dovish comments as well. We saw um, that rally across rates and across risk assets. This chart I want to show here too is a zoomed out chart of the two-year yield. And uh, off the back of the meeting, we, we snapped this chart, we took this chart, we struck this level, um, and you can see this trend line has been broken, this ascending trend line on the two-year yield as it is sold off and financial conditions have tightened all throughout the last year and a half, uh, and now they're pretty materially reversing, right? We wrote back in November, welcome back bond bulls, and, and we really meant it, uh, and you can see here uh, with this chart that we struck uh, almost last week, five days ago, um, that bond bulls are clearly back, they're back with a vengeance, and a lot of liquidity, and they're back and they're telling you they don't expect the policy rate to be elevated for too much longer. Again, the two-year yield can be thought of as a proxy for the federal funds rate. Now, uh, you could also see here on this chart that I'll put up on screen, uh, the implied overnight rate, right? These are Fed funds futures, future expectations for where the federal funds rate will be. The expectations coming off of Powell's remarks were of just for just one more aggregate 25 basis points worth of tightening to get us up to the 5% area, followed by cuts in December, a very short time at terminal. And then because of this extremely uh, fast uh, disinflation, cuts in December. Now, even though they interpreted Powell's comments as hawkish, the following day, uh, uh, the follow, uh, two days later, rather, um, they were surprised by a slew of very, very strong economic data. Um, the back half of the week, particularly on Friday, had two surprisingly strong economic reports. The first one was ISM Services, which came in at 55, which is a survey of uh, services managers. Uh, to see to gauge business sentiment, business activity. Um, you know, this month compared to last month, are you doing more orders? This month compared to last month, are you paying more? Uh, are, are you paying higher prices for your inputs, etc.? And that survey came back in expansion. So with this survey, there's a midline at 50 to to indicate whether sentiment is uh, largely uh, good or largely bad. Um, and as a, as a function of that, you can extrapolate whether or not the economy is in uh, contraction or expansion. Um, and ISM services printed at 55.2, which is pretty readily in the expansion territory. Uh, at least it's the highest we have been in expansion in several months. Um, this is versus the 49.6, which was the prior print. And that was actually the first time we dipped into contraction territory. Um, 
But the big kicker here is that 50, the expected value is 50.5. So it was a, was a huge upside beat on the ISM services, which indicates that the economy is much stronger than was anticipated. And also over on the non-farm payrolls report for the month of January, uh, it, it, that indicated that 517,000 jobs were added in the month of January versus the 188,000 estimate. Uh, this is absolutely huge. This was a massive beat. Um, granted, we have some recency bias here because it's it's actually not out of the ordinary. If you go back through time, there have been NFP prints that print just like this one where the expectation is very, very low and it completely demolishes to the upside. Uh, but again, markets have recency biases. It, it is what it is. Uh, but anyway, you slice it. Um, NFP came in stronger than anticipated, much stronger than anticipated. And now what we will say here at the Bitcoin layer is that a lot of this is due to the seasonal adjustment, um, right? You know, during the holidays, a lot of workers are brought on board, um, but then obviously after the holidays, uh, a whole lot of workers are let go, right? That seasonality. And so the seasonal adjustment um, is what, uh, or at least a good portion of this huge upside increase has to do with the seasonal adjustment. But either way, two prints in confluence with one another released within a few hours of each other that show the economy is still pretty robust. It's still raring to go. Now, as a result of this, uh, on Monday, uh, now obviously these two prints coming off of Friday, um, you know, the sentiment was still largely bullish for the back half of the week. Uh, there was so much data, it was tough for markets to digest. Coming into Monday, um, it seems like assets are finally adjusting. They're finally repricing in response to Friday's very strong economic data, right? So, uh, you know, as this data came in stronger than anticipated, it indicates that the Fed may have more leeway to hike, more leeway to hold higher for longer. Um, and at least that's what the market is uh, anticipating. They're anticipating the runway for tighter policy, given that the economy is still relatively intact. Now, I feel that that's a bit backwards, and I'll get to that in a second. But nevertheless, markets are repricing in response to this strong data. You can see here uh, the domestic rates um, along the U.S. Treasury curve. All of them repriced up very tremendously, uh, with the two-year up 16 basis points on the day, basically almost as large as uh, its, uh, its rally. Uh, over uh, at, right after the Fed meeting, um, it rallied. It went from 425 to 410, and now it's basically given up all those gains uh, and then some, and it's right at 445, right? It sold off pretty considerably. So, so there's uh, that reaction from, uh, from the rates market. You can see here again uh, with another chart. Here's a candle chart showing that same exact data. It gave up all of its gains and then some, and now it's right around 444 as expectations for the policy rate have risen again. The NASDAQ um, similarly is in the process of giving up all of its gains. Obviously, the NASDAQ, it's highly interest rate sensitive, but also it's very, very liquid. It's a very, very liquid uh, uh, equity index, even though it is uh, more volatile than something like the S&P 500. It, too, is in the process of giving up its gains from the rally that it had last week after the FOMC. And Bitcoin has given up all of its gains that it got leading into the F or uh, following the FOMC meeting. It rallied all the way up to uh, 24,300 roughly, and it's right back around the 23,000 level where it started. So essentially what we had last week was a downshift, right, which uh, will portend the, the Fed pause to come, the rate pause to come. But uh, we also, which obviously elicited a bullish reaction from rates and risk assets. But by the same token, at the end of the week, we had a deluge of unexpected strong economic data that really, 
splash cold water on the face of markets that were overly dovish. They were a little bit overly bullish, sort of overextended themselves over their skis, at least somewhat. Um, and uh, uh, since then, they have sold back off today on Monday. So that is the expecta- uh, explanation for the price action today. The crazy movement in rates, it is essentially a response to an overreaction last week off the back of uh, Powell's uh, dovish uh, tilt. The, the Powell, Powell's dovish tilt, the downshift to 25 basis points, elicited a bullish reaction and somewhat overly bullish per se. And then the strong unexpected reports on Friday uh, really tampered those down a little bit. Now markets have sort of reverted back to their mean with Treasury selling off a little bit and, and risk assets similarly selling off. That's all for today. Make sure you subscribe to the Bitcoin layer and we'll catch you guys next time. 